Welcome to Round Hill Radio, the podcast from Round Hill Community Church. Through our conversations, we discover the holy and the ordinary, find moments of grace and peace, and redefine what we're talking about. We talk about faith. Good morning, Ed. Good morning, Leslie. How's it going? So far, so good. So far, so good. How about you? Same? Yeah, making it happen. Living, Living the, the dream. dream. <laughs> Unified. It's becoming sort of an inside joke around here because I started, I don't know why I started saying that. I know, it's been a while. Every time I say it, everyone laughs at me and I'm like, Wait, I mean, and it's really. Now we say it with you. We just say it with me. Let's all say it together, folks. <laughs> Say it together. We are living the dream. Living the dream. Yeah, like for sure. I mean, it's actually true, which is helpful. Oh, that's great. Which yes. is nice um, without being too cheesy first thing in the morning. You go right ahead. So good morning. So we are discussing sort of broadly mm-hmm. this morning. We're talking mm-hmm. about Holy Week. Mm-hmm. Uh, more specifically, I think you wanted to focus in on Monday, Thursday. Monday, Thursday. Bit, right? Yeah, I did. Because. I do. So Holy Week technically starts with Palm Sunday, mm-hmm. which as a director of music is always, I feel like a little bit of a tightrope walk mm-hmm. because there's this procession. Right. Jesus rides in on a donkey. Right on, right on. Right on, right on. And our amazing uh, co-coordinator for Children's Ministries, Tanya Priyatka, yesterday gave the Children's Ministry all about Jesus riding in on a donkey. And her visual was Eeyore. <laughs> And I will never see the donkey the same way again. Not a happy donkey. Not a, so. Is it, I mean, but I appreciated the like the compassion she brought for him. It was brilliant. And the like, he was just trying his best. I'm, it's, it's so great, so great. <laughs> I, I'd never ever seen or heard Eeyore compared to the donkey. The t- <laughs> Jesus used entering Jerusalem, but a sad donkey. There was a lot of great that happened yesterday. That might have been my favorite. That was <laughs> that brilliant. happened in worship. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. So we start there, and then it kind of, I guess from Jesus's perspective, kind of, it's all downhill from there. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Seems like a it. peak moment. Right. And so I always wonder, every time I play the postlude or sort of do the kind of ending part into Palm Sunday. I'm like, do, do I go happy? Do I keep the like procession vibe? Right. Or do we foreshadow? Yeah. Are people going to be like, why was her postlude weird and sad? <laughs> you know, I might be overthinking this, but this is what I go through every year. <laughs> this is my whole thought process. <laughs> so, so yeah, so let's start there. So the whole like Palm Sunday and then we kind of have three days, at least in, this church community, you know, church life there, we don't observe any particular day. Mm-hmm. And then we hit into Monday, Monday, Thursday, Thursday. So mm-hmm. what's, what, what kind of happens there? Yeah. It's uh it's such an interesting time of the year because unlike Christmas, I mean, yes, we do have this four week season of Advent leading up to Christmas, but we don't have anything like Palm Sunday before Christmas. Right. And so Palm Sunday is, is tricky because it feels like it wants to be a big procession and a parade and a celebration, which is reflective of the story. However, you're right. It does go downhill from there. Yeah. And it gets uh, very um, disoriented very quickly. And there are some just heart-wrenching moments coming up. And the the complaint over the centuries, I'm sure, is that the problem is if that if you come into church on Palm Sunday, and then you come into church on Easter morning, it seems like, wow, we've gone from one festive occasion to another. Right. 
And so, but you haven't gone down into the depths mm -hmm. at all. And so the way, the image that I use for this, uh, found this image, amazing image on the internet some years ago, and we often use it as a cover for our order of service. It looks like a giant plus sign. It's made of stone. And um, this was actually a baptismal font in Syria. So mm -hmm. it's, it's obviously centuries old. Mm -hmm. But people would walk down one side of this uh, baptismal font and go all the way down into the water and basically disappear under the water, wow. would be baptized. Then they would walk up the steps on the other side and come up out of the water, and there they would be anointed with oil and given a white robe, and this is how people were baptized many, many centuries ago. And so that models what happens in Holy Week. You start off with this great high, oh, I'm going to be baptized, and then you go down into this, mm -hmm. and then you come back out of it, and that's Easter. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have that going down part, mm -hmm. it's a little hard to understand why you're going back up. And I think, too, in some in some experiences, it's hard to keep track of then the story from there. Cause Maundy mm. Thursday and good Friday, then, well, the names can be a little bit confusing. Yes. Um, cause not much good happens on good Friday. Right. <laughs> um, and so I feel like sometimes those two can be a little bit kind of blended together in our, in our consciousness. Yes. So, what happens on each day or what do we observe happen? You know, what's the observance? So when you think about the life of Jesus as a whole, it is interesting that so much gets focused on those two days, mm -hmm. right? So much happens then. So you have, um, this, this meal that he chooses to share with his disciples and it becomes the last thing that he really does with them. And, uh, it's very interesting because he not only shares a meal, but he also washes their feet. Mm. So it's this very intimate moment with them. And there's tenderness there. There's encouragement there because he's uh, still feeding them, even those who will betray him. And of course, the spotlight always goes on Judas, but they all basically betrayed him. I mean, Judas in the most graphic and awful way, but they were, they all ran in the end. Mm -hmm. One might say, understandably, considering what they were up against, mm -hmm. but there's still, there's still that, uh, that great sense of encouragement. He's still eating with these people and he still feeds them, mm -hmm. right? Even though a couple of them are, uh, one of them's up to no good. Right. Um, so it's all of that grace. Then, of course, he goes forward. It's the, the evening in Gethsemane. He prays in the garden. Uh, he's arrested. And then, you know, the next day, the day that we call Good Friday, is the day when uh, we walk through the whole process by which he's crucified. So it's, um, it's a really, it's the darkest, deepest moment in his life. And yeah. uh, when he loses everyone and everything around him and we go into that experience and then there's a little bit of a respite on what's called Holy Saturday. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then we get towards our celebration of Easter. Now, did all the things that we observe on Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, did they happen over 48 hours, rough, I, roughly? I think the time frame gets collapsed, yeah. as it often does sure. in the Gospels, right? So what you have uh, described, what's really focused on Good Friday, or I'm sorry, on Monday, Thursday, is the meal that he eats, right? Right, Because after that, you've got time that unfolds when he's arrested, mm -hmm. he's beaten, mm -hmm. he goes before this mock trial, all of that takes time to happen. Right. Right. But we collapse it all into a short time frame. Right. And so 
that's the focus that we have. Okay. It's interesting if people, you know, there there is so much on Good Friday <clears throat> that uh, again gets collapsed into a short space of time, which is why many many church communities in different parts of the world will set aside the time from twelve until three, mm -hmm. actually for a prolonged worship service. And they'll walk through every major event. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes they will focus on the betrayal, the arrest, and the trial. Those are events that took time, right, right. to take place. Sometimes from 12 to 3, other church communities will focus on the seven last words of Jesus from the cross. Right. So they're not concerned about what's happening beyond that at all. Right. So it all depends on what the community wishes to emphasize. And just as a little side note, when I was serving a church in Hartford for 14 years, every single year, we were part of what was called a, a Good Friday procession on Asylum Hill, which is one of the neighborhoods in Hartford. And uh, seven churches participated in it. And about 120, 130 people every year would join that procession. And we would walk from church to church. Mm. There would be a 15-minute service focusing on one aspect, either in the last days of Jesus or in his moments on the cross. Mm -hmm. And so we would have a brief recognition of one of those moments for 15 to 20 minutes, and then we would walk to the next church. And there was always somebody who volunteered to carry this enormous cross on her or his back wow. from one church to the next, then some other volunteer would do it. And it was it was a very moving experience to walk through that. Right. And that, that sort of helped to give me a different sense of time about all of this. That's really interesting. Because there's, you know, we, you, talk, you mentioned the seven last words. There's also the stations of the cross, mm -hmm. which other communities observe. Mm -hmm. which involves sort of Jesus's, you know, like you said, like his, cause he, there was a period in which he carried mm -hmm. his own cross mm -hmm. um, and all those different things. I, I'm a little stuck on this idea. Is there any, are you aware of any sort of hypothesis for sort of how long all this took? I, in my head, I just want, I'm really stuck on this. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, you know, this is this happens over a period of days, right? Okay. Yeah. So, so what we're really focusing on is really the last week of Jesus' life. Yeah. And it's a little hard to say because the gospel stories don't always line up. Yeah. Which is why it's it's hard to give an exact answer to the question. Yeah, sure. Um, they these storytellers had this incredible ability to collapse things, right? Right. Into so things that we would consider uh, needing three days to occur, uh -huh. right? Or whatever could be collapsed almost into a moment, it would seem. Mm -hmm. And that's really what's happening during the last week as well. Yeah. So you mentioned the Garden of Gethsemane. Yeah. What happens there? So Jesus goes to find a place. It's interesting. You know, we have this human need to find some safe or secure place where we can ground ourselves. Mm -hmm. And you get the sense through all of this that there's this terrible inevitability, right? He's His whole life, he's been heading towards Jerusalem. Now he's there, right. and now he's heading towards crucifixion, mm -hmm. right? Just seems inevitable that that's going to happen. So when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, he's there with a few of his disciples, and he asks them to stay awake while he prays. So I think, again, it's this, you know, it's like the child asking the parent, will you stay with me? 
right? Um, while the, in a sense, while the child goes to sleep, right? Mm -hmm. I just want to know there's somebody here in the room with me that's going to stay awake and yeah. do that. And the disciples aren't able to do that, <laughs> right? These poor people, he's, he's they're exhausted, yeah. you know? And, and humanly speaking, there's been incredible tension through this whole time that they've all lived with, mm -hmm. right? So what happens is they struggle and he comes back to them and, you know, there's not a very pleasant moment there. <laughs> They, yes, you stay awake. they have a reckoning, right? Yeah. You couldn't do this for me. Um, and, but it's into this, into this scene when there's the, the sight of torches mm -hmm. and this, you know, shuffling of men coming into the garden and then Jesus is arrested and carried away. Mm -hmm. And so that really is the last time that he spent any particularly close time with his disciples was at mm -hmm. that moment. And there's a moment there uh, which was actually used recently in a wonderful sermon at Round Hill Community Church. The Reverend Shannon White um, uh, delivered a sermon on gun violence because there's a moment of violence that takes place in the Garden of Gethsemane where Peter takes out his sword and cuts off the ear of one of the men who arrests him. And uh, Jesus tells him to put his sword away, right? Those who take up the sword shall die by the sword and heals the guard's ear at the same time. Mm -hmm. So that, that text, you know, that scene in the garden of Gethsemane, it hardly ever is going to be preached about on a Sunday morning because right. this is an event that takes place midweek, right? Mm -hmm. We don't focus on it necessarily on Palm Sunday, nor on Easter. It's been incredibly important to those who've taken a pacifist stance over the centuries. Sure. They've looked at that, that single event as being decisive for Jesus attitude towards violence. Sure. Right. And in such a high stake moment mm -hmm. where it's really a turning point um, towards the end of his life. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really like he's that starting down that path. Like there's no going back after that point. Yep. And that's sort of the stance he takes at that critical moment. Yeah, exactly. That's really interesting. So in this, in this whole time, the other thing that's interesting from the moment, depending on which gospel you read, mm -hmm. this is where the time gets confusing mm -hmm. from the moment he goes. So when Jesus enters Jerusalem and, you know, up to that point to Maundy Thursday, he's still teaching a lot. Mm -hmm. And you get the sense that this is going on for a little while, mm -hmm. you know, um, but again, it's sort of all collapsed into a week. But there's a lot of teaching that's going on. And even though, even in that moment in the garden, he's still teaching. Kind of makes me wonder, it's like, he has all those, he's like, oh, all the things I need to say. Right. Before I go. Mm -hmm. All the things you want to, you know, write down and have them remember before I'm not here anymore. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting to think about it from that perspective. I was thinking about one moment in this week when Jesus, uh, particularly in the gospel, according to Mark, once he enters into the city, he goes to the temple and the temple is the, the seat or the center of, you know, Judaism mm -hmm. and, and Passover Jerusalem is packed with people from many, many destinations. And it's interesting because in Mark, he just goes and looks around. He doesn't do anything. Mm -hmm. And then he steps back and goes back and spends time with his disciples. Um, he's going to go into the temple. There's a whole culture that had developed around sacrificial animals there. People mm -hmm. had to come and pay for them and so on. Mm -hmm. And Jesus 
seems to have felt by that time that that whole system that had developed was really no longer feeding the people's interests in religion and their relationship with God. So he's enraged about that. He comes in and he flips over these tables, right? The interesting thing is that in the Gospel of John, that happens way at the beginning of his ministry. That's what I thought. Way at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, again, when does it happen? Right. <laughs> right. Like, also, sometimes you wonder, is like a big game of telephone. Right. Like, <laughs> like, yes. You know. And so given all of that, you know, we, we sort of, depending on which gospel we're reading at the time, it can serve all kinds of different interests. Sure. Right? Is it something, is this something, the turning of the tables you want to do at the, at the beginning of your ministry to send a decisive message about what you're about? Yeah. Or... Do you plan it all out very carefully mm -hmm. and then you wait until after you're actually there and you know it's near the end of your life and you're just going to right, do smash it all. Smash it all. <laughs> right? Smash it all. <laughs> do we know the collective royal we? Uh, anything about sort of what the the women in his community are doing for, you, for during these few days because they feature very heavily in the resurrection story. Absolutely, they are the they are the main characters. In fact, Mary, the the one who the Mary who meets him in John's Gospel mm -hmm. after he has uh, been crucified and she mistakes him for the gardener. Right, it's a great moment. Great. Right, um, she's been called the apostle to the apostles. Mm. That's what a uh, one commentator many, many hundreds of years ago described her in that way. It's really only the women who are around after uh, his death. They're the first ones. Women are the first to announce his resurrection. Mm -hmm. And in one, at least in one case, um, the men don't buy it. <laughs> <laughs> nope. That's, that didn't happen. That sound you hear is me biting the, my tongue that <laughs> men wouldn't believe what a few women say. What? I'm shooketh. Shocker. <laughs> Shocker. I know. It's, it's just, it's amazing. And uh, well, maybe I shouldn't say it's amazing. It's been going on for a long time. Well, you know. Yeah. And um, so they, they play such an incredibly important role as witnesses, as caregivers, as deliverers of the news. They're the first preachers. Um, all of that happens. And so I, I, what I think is really amazing about the gospel writers is that given their culture, which must have been heavily masculine oriented sure. in every possible way, sure. they give this prominent attention to the women around Jesus. Yeah, And that doesn't stop after, after the stories begin to come forward. Uh, for those who read the letters of Paul carefully in the book of Acts, women are playing just as decisive you know, a role in those stories in mm -hmm. terms of their leadership yeah. and their support and encouragement as they were in the gospel stories. Yeah. So it's there. Um, certainly men have tried very, very hard to suppress <laughs> and downplay those stories over the centuries, but it's just wonderful to see how that leadership continued after the death of Jesus and is actually recorded in those texts yeah. when they could have easily been edited out. Mm -hmm. So I think that's pretty remarkable. That's amazing. That's amazing. So we are now heading towards Maundy Thursday. We'll have our own observance mm -hmm. of Maundy Thursday and Good Friday here. Um, and then Holy Saturday. Now I, working in different traditions, um, have observed a really beautiful service 
um, called Easter Vigil. The Great Vigil. The Great Vigil. Yeah. So what's what's that about? So I'm not as familiar with that, but I've participated in it. Um, and the thing that always struck me about the Great Easter Vigil is that it it almost it's almost like lessons and carols before Christmas mm. in the sense that it starts all the way back in Genesis. Mm. And then it it's like trying to track a thread mm-hmm. all the way through the narrative of the Bible mm-hmm. that brings us up to Easter. Mm-hmm. So there are so many scripture lessons that are incurred, encouraged, right? And included in that great Easter vigil. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's a way of saying, look, this didn't just happen out of the blue. Mm-hmm. Jesus is in fact part of a narrative that begins with, in a sense, you know, the dawning of the text, mm-hmm. the dawning of the history. So I, I, as I say, I've only been a participant in it a few times, but it is literally like watching this spectacle unfold. Yeah. Right. And you've you've played in it. You're I've played, played for, for one of yeah. them. Yeah, and I've participated in a couple. It, the thing I really like about it is because, you know, sometimes after as a church musician, you play from Monday, Thursday, which is on the darker side mm-hmm. and then Good Friday, which is heavy. Mm-hmm. And then you show up on Easter morning and everything. Mm. It's like it's like when Dorothy and Toto show up in Oz and everything's in Technicolor. Yes. And it's a little much uh-huh. after everything's in black and white. Easter sometimes feels a little like. Okay. Whoa. Whoa. That cha- that was abrupt. Right. Um. And I feel like Easter Vigil is like that transition time, so it kind of slowly brings you mm. through through this story from you know Good Friday into Easter. So that when you get to Easter, you're not like whoa. You're like ready, and you're like yeah. Let's head, and then you hear the bells and lights come on, and yep. it's all very you know. Like, well, now it's Easter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's such an so interesting experience of it. That Holy Week is different. One thing I um we experimented with in a congregation that I served is that we could actually shutter the windows pretty effectively. So mm-hmm. we could get things kind of dark. Yeah. So for one Easter, we, it was dark Ooh. when people came into the sanctuary, <gasps> cool. no lights on in the sanctuary at all. I think people just thought did the power go off here. Like you guys. Okay. <laughs> is there, yeah. Oh, this doesn't look good. Uh-oh. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and then we had the very brief exchange between the women and the angels at the tomb. Mm-hmm. So someone presented the figure of the angels, someone was there to present the figure of the women, which by the way, in the history of Western drama, that's a key moment because that interchange is seen as kind of the one, one of the first dramatic moments from which later dramatists built all kinds of theater. Really? Yeah, it's a very interesting um, development in the life of theater. So it starts right from there, this very, very tiny moment, this interchange. And once that interchange happens and the angel says, he's not here, he's risen, he go, he's going ahead of you, you know, mm-hmm. to Galilee. Then our lights popped on, the shutters came off the windows, the organ started, and that was our <laughs> Easter celebration. How fun. So it was a really, that really was a dramatic way of, mm-hmm. of you know, effecting what that change could feel like. Yeah, they really it sounds like you're you're you sort of entered the story together. Yeah. Which is very cool. We did. That's very it cool. It was really, really helpful. And I think that you know, over time some churches work very hard at encouraging people to participate in at least the Monday Thursday service. Sure. And people usually find that I 
I have had so many people over the years tell me that that, that is the most meaningful service of the year for them. Mm-hmm. But usually churches have to really be very intentional at working at that yeah. over the years to encourage people to come. Yeah. Um, because again, you know, especially when you think about what's been going on in the world now, where, you know, there's war in Ukraine, there's famine in Afghanistan, many challenges. There's a tendency to want to draw back from that. Sure. Uh, you know, those are, it's like hearing more challenging and difficult voices. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, you know, we're entering into the human condition when we're part of that story. And in the midst of it, the the word of Jesus in the middle of that story is love one another as I have loved you. Mm-hmm. So it's a very galvanizing moment for that community. Absolutely. Well, thank you for entering into the spirit of Holy Week with me this week, Pleasure. Ed. Um, I hope I learned so much. I hope you guys all edited as well. Roundhill Media, Roundhill Radio is brought to you by Roundhill Media and by the friends and members of Roundhill Community Church. We'll see you back here next week. <laughs>